welcome candidates to this virtual candidate forum. I'm Polly Horton, member of the League of Women Voters of Johnson County, and I will be the moderator for this forum. The League of Vo Women Voters is a volunteer nonpartisan organization that neither supports nor opposes any party or candidate. The League does take positions after considerable study of issues and acts to influence decision makers on those issues. We work not only to register voters, but also to provide them with the information on issues to assist their participation in government. Membership is open to anyone 16 years of age or older. Join us. We can use your time, your talents, and your financial resources. League members advocate and inform others. Democracy works best when more people are involved. The views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates. All viable candidates have been invited to participate. The format for this evening is as follows. After the candidates have been introduced, they will each have two minutes for opening remarks. We will then present questions to them. Our questions come from our polling of our league members. Each candidate will have one minute to respond to each question. There will not be time for rebuttal. We are scheduled for 30 minutes. Near the end of our scheduled time for this event, each candidate will have two minutes for closing remarks. Speaking order will be rotated. A league member is our timekeeper tonight. Thank you, Sylvia. Using cards to alert candidates when time is about up and when time is up. Tonight, we have two candidates running for one nomination position in the June primary race to set the fall ballot for the Johnson County Sheriff, Al Fear and Brad Kunkel. Let's begin with your two minute opening statement, starting with Al Fear. Thank you very much. I'm a longtime resident of Johnson County with over 25 years of law enforcement experience. I have degrees in criminal justice, organizational leadership and advanced leadership training from Northwestern University School of Police Staff and Command. I worked at the Corville Police Department in the late 1990s, transferring to Cedar Rapids Police Department uh, in 1999, where I'm now a sergeant in the patrol division. I have a great deal of leadership experience in many areas, including patrol, investigations, canine, SWAT, union negotiations, and training. I created several programs during my career, uh, including the Eastern Iowa Heroin Initiative, Crush of Iowa. I'm known throughout the state as an advocate for victims of substance abuse, mental health, and human trafficking. Currently, I'm a member of the Johnson County Human Trafficking Coalition and the Johnson County Prevention Partnership. I believe in common sense solutions, accountability, trust, and transparency in leadership. I believe in bringing the community back into community policing. I believe that there's no place for politics and law enforcement. I believe that everyone has a voice and should be heard. I believe in fighting for everyone in Johnson County. Tonight, I hope you'll evaluate each candidate, research both websites, and make the educated decision for yourself on who is the best choice for the job. Politics is an ugly game. Often it is not about qualifications, but a popularity contest. Be a leader tonight and make the decision for yourself. Johnson County is a wonderful place to live. And tonight you will hear several times about my competitor being born and raised here. We all know that people move to Johnson County, uh, to this community from other areas, and they only enrich and improve the culture and diversity. To say that someone is more qualified because of where they are born is unrealistic. I believe through your research, you will find that I have the most experience in education. You will see that I have a passion for community outreach and implementing new and progressive ideas. Al Fair for Sheriff of Johnson County, and I appreciate you tuning in tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you, Al. And now, Brad Kunkel. 
Uh, well, for, <clears throat> excuse me. First, I'd like to thank the League of Women Voters for the invitation and for hosting the forum this afternoon. I'm really glad this is able to happen in spite of the, the pandemic and the impact it's had on not only the entire campaign, but really the election process. And you know, we all know elections matter, um, especially local elections, because your local elected officials have significant impacts on our daily lives. And government here in our, in our community impacts us through our schools, our streets, and in our property. But we also remember that you know, your local electeds are who you see in the grocery store, uh, they're who you see when you're walking down the street, they, they live next door, they're in our communities as well. But electing a sheriff is unique because it's the one chance the voting public has to have a voice in law enforcement and who a law enforcement leader is in their community. And the public to take a critical look at each candidate, examine the candidate's goals, and also their plans for attaining them. They need to look at the substance and the nature of their campaign and scrutinize their grasp of the office. But it's also important to examine the background and experience they bring to the sheriff's office because that will impact their ability to lead from day one. As a lifelong member of the Iowa City community and career veteran of the Johnson County Sheriff's Office, I've dedicated my life to public safety in Johnson County, both as a deputy sheriff and in the volunteer fire service. But within the sheriff's office, I've worked in jail, on patrol, I was promoted to sergeant, and then on to detective. I'm also the spokesperson for the sheriff's office and I currently serve as the public information officer. My breadth of experience in the office has provided me with a strong understanding of not only the complexity of the office, but the experience of being a frontline supervisor. But in addition to my public safety experience, I've also spent years outside of the sheriff's office working in an effort to better serve our community. I previously held elected office as a member of the Solon City Council, and I've served on boards in our local nonprofit community. These have provided additional valuable experiences in personnel, management, and budget experience and oversight but it's also provided opportunities to connect law enforcement with a broad segment of Johnson County in a positive way. Thank you again to the league. I appreciate this opportunity and I look forward to, uh, to spending time with you folks this evening. Thank you. Now we will get to questions from the league. Um, you will have one minute to respond to each question and we will alternate the start time. So Mr. Kunkel, you will go first. <clears throat> the question is, <clears throat> Describe your strongest competencies for serving as sheriff and your highest priority for the department. So I think my, two of my strongest competencies really come from not only experience as a deputy sheriff and understanding the complexity of the sheriff's office, but also in previously holding elected office. That's really important when it comes to serving not only as an elected official, but as a department head in general. Uh, those are very valuable things that. Um, that, that mean a lot of things when you're, when you're in that leadership role, when you're responsible for a large segment of employees, but also a large segment of tax dollars. And it's important to have a grasp of not only what the, the budget functions are within the office, but where that budget, um, that budgetary experience fits in with the greater county budget um, and how that works when you're, when you're trying to be the best steward of tax dollars in general. Thank you. The same question, Mr. Fear. Do you want me to repeat it? Yes, please. Okay. Describe your strongest competencies for serving as sheriff and your highest priority for the department. Absolutely. Um, well, my strongest competencies would be my uh, my experience, my education. I'm like I said before. I'm in my 25th year of, of law enforcement. I work in the second largest city in the state, uh, which is obviously a very busy department. I'm a sergeant in the patrol division. Um, 
along with my education experience, my leadership training through Northwestern University and the completion of the police staff and command, uh, my, my passion for community outreach has been my priority over the last several years. Uh, my personality is uh, one of persistence and determination, and my desire to serve others is, uh, is key to me, and I fight for everyone in the county. Uh, my highest priority for the agency would be um, to build more bridges and bring the community back into community policing. We need to be able to um, create long-lasting relationships with everyone in the community and, and, and understand that everyone has a voice uh, and that we all need to work together for solutions uh, for the problems that we're having in the county. Thank you very much. The next question, Mr. Fear, you all go first. Okay. Describe how you see your role. Well, I think you already said that. How has COVID-19 changed operations of a sheriff's department? And as a result, what specific challenges do you see going forward? Sure. Well, COVID-19 has changed the world uh, right now, and especially within the jail system. I know um, in, in our area here, we have to pick and choose really the people that are arrested and who are actually allowed to come into the jail system because we need to protect the inmates because they are in a confined space. So everyone needs to be uh, in quarantine and, and protected from the virus itself. Uh, we're currently not arresting anybody for simple or serious misdemeanors, which is a big deal. So uh, we're sending off a lot of uh, consent delays and putting, putting our court dates off several months down the road uh, for these various offenses. Uh, we need to do everything we can to make sure we protect the inmates in, in the jail system and, uh, and be picky on, on who goes to the jail and who is allowed to sign a consent to delay and have their court at a later, later time. Um, the, the challenges um, that I see are obviously keeping all that stuff together and uh, doing the job we, we, that we have in the most efficient way that we can. Uh, it's very difficult in this time, especially with all the possibilities of Excuse me, I guess I need to stop, sorry. Thank you. Yep. Um, Mr. Kunkel, how has COVID-19 changed the operations of a sheriff's department? And as a result, what specific challenges do you see going forward? So the two biggest impacts it's really had on the sheriff's office uh, would be broken down between the jail and then all the other day-to-day -day law enforcement operations we have. In the jail itself, uh, we've implemented everything from a screening process at booking to driving down our jail population, which was really a big collaborative effort between the sheriff's office, uh, the court system, the county attorney, uh, the Department of Corrections. It was really a, a team effort to, to work to drive down our jail population so we could do the best we could with social distancing. On the law enforcement side of things, you had changing everything from deputies handling more calls over the phone, to um, we're just doing more interviews over the phone. So everything we can do to provide opportunities to distance ourselves from having contact with people. As far as the challenges go, it will be, are these going to be long-term solutions? Because we need to start thinking about the short-term changes that we made and are these going to be long-term strategies? But also how is this going to impact our budget going forward? Thank you. Next question and Mr. Kunkel, you'll go first. Okay. One of the League of Women Voters of Iowa state public policy priorities is to enact gun safety laws that encourage responsible gun ownership. What local actions do you support to limit access and use of guns by individuals deemed mentally ill or with a history of violent behavior? So the one place we start with this is in the gun permitting process. So when a person uh, fills out their gun permit application, goes through a NICS check, 
that one of the things the next check does is screens for if a person's been adjudicated mentally ill in the past. Um, beyond that, it, it gets difficult. Um, and really, we need to do better about having better communication with maybe it's family members or friends or somebody who has somebody suffering from mental illness and talking to them about reducing access because we know reducing access to firearms is about the number one strategy we can do to reducing suicides because the majority of suicides, um, or, sorry, suicides are, firearms are a leading weapon used in suicides and they're about 90% lethal. Uh, when we drive down access to firearms, we can reduce the number of suicides. So it's, it's education, I think, is where we have to start and communicating with people, not only about the responsibility of firearm ownership, but if somebody is in a crisis situation, um, help making sure we, they have access to resources to reduce that access. Thank you. Mr. Fear. What local actions do you support to limit access and use of guns by individuals deemed mentally ill or with a history of violent behavior? Well, you're seeing this across the country and it's, it's a very important uh, situation that we need, we need to take care of. Um, regarding gun safety, uh, you know, I'm for the second amendment, obviously, and um, I've had a weapon my entire career. Um, we need to make sure that we address the mental health areas of gun ownership. And if someone, who is a gun owner and has mental health issues, we need to make sure we take care of the mental health issue. And uh, my plan for that would be to uh, do an extensive background check, obviously. If there is concerns that pop up from family members or from doctors, we need to address those as soon as we can uh, and meet with the person and actually have a, a counseling services available to evaluate if that person is a threat who has that weapon. Because the last thing we need is for anyone to commit suicide or to harm others with their weapon. Um, if they're having any uh, any uh, issues at all, um, we need to endorse those and uh, and work towards solving those problems as a community together. Thank you. Mr. Fear, you'll go first on the next question. Does Johnson County need to move toward a major crimes task force? Does it have the ability to pull from other agencies quickly? If so, how? Well, I think right now there is a definitely a collaboration that's happening between the other agencies, uh, and there is already cooperation uh, happening with these major crimes that you're that you're speaking of. So um, we have to look at the financial situation, the budget for all of these agencies. Because currently we have the uh, an area response team for this, the SWAT team that are, we have multiple people from different agencies coming together and working toward the common goal, which is fantastic. As far as the major crimes task force. Uh, that's already in existence um, and it's already happening. So uh, there's definitely already cooperation from the other agencies and we're all are working together toward the common solution. So uh, to answer your question, it's already in place and they're already working together. So there, there definitely is a need. Good. Mr. Kunkel? Sure, so there is a need. Um, I, I would say it's not quite accurate that it already exists, however. Um, we, do, we do work with other agencies on larger cases. So for example, there was a large scale uh, human trafficking investigation within the last year uh, that did have not only somebody from the sheriff's office um, led by the Iowa City Police Department, but the Corville Police Department had an officer on there too. But I do see the need to go forward to have some sort of formal agreement in place where somebody is uh, kind of on standby or reserve for if there were that need, they can be pulled and reassigned to that task force for that. Um, 
if we were to have that happen, say then in our agency, we could turn around, have that same connection with Iowa City, Corvo, North Liberty. Not only does it bring together people from different agencies and different resources, but really it's the intelligence sharing, which is a really important part of it too. But also it's just good training also when, um, because you know these large scale instances don't really happen, say at the sheriff's office, they might happen with larger offices or those larger agencies more often. Thank you. The next question, and Mr. Kunkel, you'll go first. As a department head, you are responsible for personnel and tax dollars. What experience do you have managing budgets and public dollars? Sure. So I did spend six years on the city council in Seoul, and I was elected to a full term and then reelected. Um, and that obviously requires managing a, a multi-million dollar budget. And when when you it takes you about that first year to even kind of get your head around the budget. And in the council role, you're responsible for the budget for the entire city. And then that's dispersed down to your department heads. This is different when you're, a, as the sheriff, you're in charge of an office. So now you are that, you get that piece of the pie from the board of supervisors. So the council experience is very important. But in addition, uh, in my nonprofit service, again, you're responsible for now a large amount of not only private dollars from, from private donors, but maybe federal and state dollars too. So it's again, um, it, that's valuable experience in managing other people's money and how you're gonna be responsible and accountable for it. Uh, and for the long term and understanding the changes you make now will have that impact next year, two years down the road and so on. Thank you. Mr. Fear. Yes, uh, thank you. So um, I have started uh, a few of the programs throughout my career, one being the Eastern Iowa Heroin Initiative, uh, which was a grant-funded program through the United States Attorney's Office. And we were responsible for uh, allocating those grants and um, monitoring the funds throughout the entire process of the program. The second program that I started was the Crush of Iowa Group, which is a nonprofit uh, group here in, in Iowa, which stands for Community Resources United to Stop Heroin. And for that group, there was local chapters, uh, local county chapters across the, in the entire state. And with that comes uh, evaluating and understanding manpower and where we need to put people across the state and uh, how to pay for these various services. Um, this, the next thing that I do is I'm in, I was in charge of the Governor's Traffic Safety Bureau, all the grant funding that came through the police department. Um, and we need to decide how many officers that we could um, hire for the Governor's Traffic Safety projects throughout the year and uh, establish how much they make per hour, uh, multiply that times their hourly rate and and uh, gather all the information for that program as well. Thank you. Mr. Fair, you'll go first on the next question. Human trafficking is a state public, Iowa State public policy priority for the league and the local league. What policies and training would you suggest to prevent human trafficking and build public and officer awareness? Well, currently I'm a member of the Johnson County Human Trafficking Coalition. And um, human trafficking is going to be a huge um, issue for, for me if, if I become sheriff of Johnson County. I'm going to implement a uh, interdiction, a criminal interdiction team that's going to focus on the trafficking of humans, weapons, and narcotics. Um, unfortunately, Johnson County is right in the middle of, of the United States on Interstate 80. Interstate 80 runs from California to New York. Then we have the Avenue of the Saints that comes from St. Louis to St. Paul. So Johnson County is a, is a hotbed for human trafficking issues that are happening right now. And 
we have a lot of communities that talk about human trafficking, but I want to actually be out there boots on the ground and actually start making things happen um, to help the people who are suffering from human trafficking and uh, put a stop to the people who are, who are running the, the people uh, to be used. Thank you. Mr. Kunkel, That's what policies and training would you suggest to prevent human trafficking and build public and officer awareness? So we have some of that in place right now. Um, shortly after I became an investigator a couple of years ago, uh, I joined the Johnson County Human Trafficking Coalition. And one thing that the coalition has been doing is working and trying to connect more with those other places where they may intersect with victims. So everything from uh, the, the hotel industry, but also transportation, uh, quick care clinics and those kind of things to really expand that outreach and identify those other places where law enforcement may not be the ones coming to contact with victims. It's those other places where victims may be in some sort of a public setting. But the way to combat it from the law enforcement side is really, is that's where technology steps in. And that's where we have to take the fight to is how are we going to do this? And I do have a plan for that when I talk about a cyber crime and computer forensics task force. Technology is where we have to take the fight to human trafficking to start with. Uh, human trafficking isn't so much done in newspaper ads anymore. Um, it's through it's through our apps, it's through our devices, it's through it's through the internet, and that's where we have to start. Thank you, <clears throat> Mr. Kunkel. You'll go first. The next question is twofold. Um, the Johnson County Jail can house only ninety-two inmates. What is your experience managing people incarcerated on jail, and what can be done with this limitation of only ninety-two? So I spent my first five years working in the jail. I worked four years on nights and a year of days. And you learn, you learn quickly what it's like to work in that, work in that confined area where um, it's, it's a cramped jail. I remember very clearly early in my career when we were very overcrowded, uh, somebody looking at me one night when I was putting an inmate into a cell block and wondering how many more people are you gonna put in here? Um, We've done a lot over the years in, in two ways. One, with our jail alternatives program that's been in, a, in effect for about 15 years, but also housing people out of county. And we're going to have to continue to do that. COVID-19 is going to change that discussion though, because as I mentioned earlier, we've driven down that jail population. And today I think we're at about 33 inmates in house, 34. So we, we're also gonna have discussions as we move out of this pandemic about policing in general and what that's going to look like for jail populations going forward. And it's gonna be a good conversation that we need to have as a law enforcement industry. Good. Mr. Fear, the question is, the Johnson County Jail can house only 92 inmates. Um, what is your experience managing people incarcerated in jail in this condition? What can be done? Sure. Well, um, obviously the, the jail was built back in the 80s and the, the county has significantly um, advanced as far as population is concerned. Um, with, the, uh, with the limitation of 92 inmates, there's over close to $500,000 a year that's being spent with uh, transporting prisoners to other counties. And we need to focus on what we, the difference between what we want and what we need. Obviously the need for a new jail is there. Um, however, we need to be really considerate with the people's money and 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 choose a system that will um, incorporate their ideas with what we need, not necessarily what we want. Uh, the jail alternatives program is doing great work. 
Uh, I have a plan for expanding that program and adding staff to, to increase uh, the numbers that they're actually serving. And um, I've traveled to several different jails throughout the state just to evaluate each program and how they are running things as well. And to, to get ideas from them on their programs and how to, how to, to, um, to battle this issue of overcrowding. My time is up, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, this will be the last question before your two minute wrap up. Um, the league in general is a big proponent of regional government. So what do you feel are the major issues facing the police departments in Johnson County area? How can you coordinate with local police and fire departments or other um, departments? And Mr. Fear, you'll go first. Yeah, sure. So uh, the current issues within the local agencies, I believe is collaboration, <clears throat> excuse me, collaboration and training. Um, as Sheriff of Johnson County, I wanna make the Johnson County Sheriff's Office the hub of all training that happens in the county. So we're all on the same page. I want to be able to offer programs uh, for the community and for the inmates in the jail to reduce recidivism and to, uh, to train the local law enforcement officers. So we're all handling people the same way and we all have an understanding of what the needs are of the county. Um, I think collaboration is a huge uh, leadership um, trait of mine. And, um, and I believe that working, working together, we work better. Um, and what I would suggest is um, sharing all the ideas with the local law enforcement leaders and have an open line of communication with, with all the agencies. And uh, when we're having problems that we need to, need to meet and, and find solutions and give the community a voice. So we're all working together. Thank you very much. Mr. Kunkel. Sure, so I we have two big future challenges ahead of us. One is kind of this enduring challenge law enforcement and, and really public safety in general has with recruitment. Uh, we're gonna have to learn how to deal with that going forward. Recruitment numbers are down. We don't get the numbers of people wanting to be in law enforcement like we used to. And that's a challenge every one of us in a law enforcement leadership position are going to have to deal with going forward. But really the big picture um, deal we're, I'm sorry, issue we're going to have to deal with is what is COVID going to do with um, our budget outlook in the future as unemployment goes higher and if people can't pay property taxes, how's that going to impact tax rolls and in turn budgets up and down from city, state and up to the county, to the county level. So that's the larger issue we're gonna to have to deal with and that's a big unknown right now. As far as working with other agencies, we do a lot of that already. Uh, we, we have our SWAT team that uh, we partner with, Corville and North Liberty on, we have our multi-agency drug task force. We do a lot of collaboration as it is. Thank I'll you. Each candidate will now have two minutes to make a closing statement. We'll start with Mr. Kunkel. Well, again, um, I want to thank first the league for organizing this event, uh, but also thanks to all of you who are watching uh, us live or those who decide to tune in later. Uh, and, and thanks to the league for what you do. Voter education and participation is crucial to local elections. And it's through events like this that we can connect with voters and strengthen our local democracy. And I'll close with this. When the voters weigh the candidates in this race, I think it's important to evaluate not only their experiences, but also their motivation and examine why each candidate is running. This is important because it provides insight into how this person will lead if they're elected. I'm running because I've dedicated my career to the community I've known my whole life. 
Through my experience at the Johnson County Sheriff's Office, I see where we can improve and build on the foundation that is in place for moving forward. And this is an opportunity to lead the Sheriff's Office, serve the community, and continue the public service model that works in our community. The Johnson County Sheriff's Office is a modern progressive law enforcement agency, and I plan to keep on building on our successes. And I also believe that my experience and knowledge from my service as a deputy sheriff, a city counselor, and in the nonprofit community not only provide valuable skills and depth to the sheriff's office, but also demonstrate my lifetime commitment to Johnson County. So thank you again and stay healthy. Mr. Fear. Thank you. That's closing statement. Yeah. Okay. So three things. The number of programs that my competitors created in 20 years, the number of employees that my competitor currently supervises, the number of ideas that my competitor has that are not already in place, they all equal the same number, which is zero. As Sheriff of Johnson County, I will make the Sheriff's Office one of the most progressive and proactive agencies in the state. I will make the Sheriff's Office the hub of all law enforcement training in the county. We will grow together as a community, placing an emphasis on trust, transparency, training, and technology. After hearing the answers tonight from the forum, I hope you may complete your research on both candidates and make that education, that educated decision for yourselves. I'm not a politician. I'm a civil servant who wants to help people from a larger platform. I want to serve the people of Johnson County through collaboration and create long lasting relationships. We together will make immediate positive change. We together will inspire collaboration, transparency, and trust. We together will build long lasting relationships. We together will bring the community back into community policing. And we together will make a difference on June 2nd. My competitor has never been a member of any special unit or led one such as SWAT or canine or bomb squad. My competitor has not created one program for the community in his 20 years. The status quo is not working. It's time for change. Thank you to the League of Women Voters and to all of you for watching this forum tonight. People, people before politics, my website is alfearforsheriff.com. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you to the candidates. The recording of this forum will be available on the Facebook page of the League of Wound Voters. In addition, rebroadcasts of this forum will be run on the Iowa City Channel 4, Coral Vision, and North Liberty TV. See their respective websites for the time and program schedules. We would like to remind you that the ex views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates and that sponsorship of the forum is not an endorsement of any candidate. Remember to vote on or before June 2nd. You can request a absentee ballot currently or you can do a drive-by at the county auditor's office and vote from your car. Good night. Thank you. Thank you very much.